you're the best around. around. Never gonna do, 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 do. I Never don't know the words. <laughs> and that is my daughter. Hello and oh. welcome to another exciting episode of the Freak Show Podcast. I am your host, Joe A.P. Asian Persuasion. I'm saying it as fast as I can because I am great. Hello, Brittany. B.H. Broken Hopeful. Thank you for doing another exciting episode of this podcast. My delight. Of course, this is a podcast inside of a podcast inside of a podcast. Why are we three layers deep? I don't... Well, it depends. Is this a mini-sode or an AP triple B? Because, or is this just another episode? Because if it's just another episode, then it's a podcast. If it's an AP Triple B, then it's a podcast inside of a podcast. If it's a mini-sode, then it's a podcast inside of a podcast inside of a podcast. The mini-sodes are inside the AP and Triple Bs? Absolutely, because it just means that we are deeper into the nucleus, uh, kicking Tevin out on the outside as an electron Tevin, proton. we miss you. We miss you. We miss you. I, uh, so, I've been looking into some crazy stuff. Oh, crazy stuff, Joe? Cra- crazy, crazy, cray-cray stuff. Criminally insane stuff, would you Criminally say? Criminally insane stuff, I would say, Brittany. Yes, that is right. This episode, which, isn't it funny how we, like, tell people what we're gonna cover, but, it, like, in reality, they're probably like, yeah, stupid, we know. Like, I we saw clicked on the, the episode. Yeah, like... No one is, like, willy-nilly, you know, clicking in. I will say, I have clicked on something before, and w- the contents did not match the title because of a glitch. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, confirmation. Your phone's not glitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Which, uh-huh. for some people that have certain phones, you may worry about if your phone glitches. Okay. So let's talk about temporary insanity. We're going to talk about a couple different ways that insanity is used in the prosecution of a crime, okay, Okay. or or of a criminal case. So the legal term insanity refers to a disorder of the mind which impairs an individual's ability to know right from wrong or otherwise prevent him from understanding that his actions are wrong. So uh, if you watch small or listen to Small Town Murder, which, Brittany, I know you do sometimes. I've seen, watched... Three episodes. That's it? They are very long episodes. Dude, but it get, they these last six months have been insane. I've been the tra- last three months have been the best episodes they've ever done. I've been trying to listen to the one that was like in uh, Erlinger near us. Or Edgewood. Edgewood. Yes. I'm still not through it. Oh my gosh. I listen every Friday. I listen. Um, every Tuesday, I listen now to Crime and Sports. Every Friday, I listen to Small Town Murder on my way home from uh, from my last stop at work, which means I have... Well, I'm at my last like two stops, and they're super quick. Yeah. So that would take like 30 minutes, and it's a two and a half hour long episode, right? 30 minutes, it's a two hour drive back to the yard. So I listen all the way back. And I have a camera in my semi-truck. And it goes off anytime I hit a bump really hard. Oh, yeah. So you can't pause So it. I'm sure that they are like, what is this guy listening to? Because <laughs> I'm sure they're listening going, and the head is cut off the woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> this person's a nut bar. You know, but um, what I've learned from Small Town Murder is that, like, back in the day, criminally insane was something that was used a lot, 
more loose compared to now because now, like, so you have temporary insanity, right? Okay. Which is like you are not able to have any type of cognitive ability uh, to think or reason right or wrong at the time of the murder, right? Yeah, like honor. You see, his wife cheated him on the night before, so he was temporarily insane today. See, they call that a crime of passion, and then that's when it becomes like manslaughter or second-degree murder, right? Okay. So that's how they do it. So they'll, they'll claim innocence by reason of insanity, and then they'll knock down the charges. But, you'll, but you won't be found innocent, right? Okay. Then other ones, then other ones you are found innocent by reason of insanity, right? So like... We're going to talk about some... We'll, you'll see what I mean. I'm going to give you examples. But you're going to learn something today. It's going to be great. So you have temporary insanity, like just insanity where like you could not distinguish between the, the right and wrong and you are going to a facility. Okay. Right? And then you have like a couple others that we're going to get into. One, you're probably going to be like, you got to be kidding me. This is really still a thing. You really want to get... I feel like you want to get into that one first. You want to get into that one first? It's really... No, save it for the middle. Okay. All right. The middle. Okay. You have five cases, I believe. Yes. All right. So, let's get into Mary Carol Winkler. Okay? So, born 1973, in 2006, um, she was convicted of voluntary manslaughter in a shooting of her husband, Matthew Winkler, a pulpit minister at the 4th Street Church of Christ in the small town of Selmer, Tennessee. Okay. Okay. So basically it gained attention because of her regards and motives with mental health. Okay. So what happened was she shoots her husband dead. Okay. So the criminal case is that um, she confessed to a fatal shooting of her husband uh, whose body was discovered in their home by church members after he missed the evening service. So what happened was he ministers during the Sunday morning service. Okay. He comes home and then something happens where his wife murders him with a 12-gauge shotgun. Naturally. Okay. Now, um, after this, there's an Amber Alert put out because Mary Winkler took... Her and her three kids and fled to Orange Beach, Alabama from Tennessee. Okay. All right. So Winkler was placed into custody and later extradited to Tennessee to stay in trial. So she didn't even come back because she felt bad. She murdered him with 12-gauge shotgun. She took the kids. The, the kids and went to Orange Beach, Alabama where they ended up finding her, probably because they were looking for her car or because she was doing something crazy. Okay. Now, they extradited her back, and she argued, uh, she said that they were, her and her husband were arguing about money, and um, then she offered the suggestion, I guess that's when my ugly came out. That's what she claims. Okay. Now, they indicted her and accused her of um, first-degree murder, right? <laughs> Ma'am, why'd you murder your husband? Well, we were talking about financials, and uh, we were arguing. I guess I was saying my ugly came out. Yeah, pretty much. 
So, I feel like if this was on a dude, it probably would be, like, no one's going to take you seriously, right? Like, when it's like, like, listen, this is what happens, okay? So, she tells the investigators that um, she didn't remember getting the gun, but she did know her husband kept a gun in the house. Yeah. And um, the next thing she heard was a loud boom. Matthew Winkler was shot in the back as he lay in bed, rolled off the bed onto the floor, still alive, as he asked his wife, Why? Why? And she said, I'm sorry. And then she left the home with him still alive. And the phone had been disconnected from its socket. Okay, that's... That's a little sketchy, right? That one's... That one makes it feel really premeditated. Yeah, it does. So... Maybe only five minutes premeditated, but... Still aggressive. Still premeditated. Yeah. So according to the statement, her and her husband had been arguing throughout the evening about finances. Um, And then she admitted that part of the problem was her fault because of... uh, She was depositing checks... Uh, to unidentified sources in Canada and Nigeria. She had fallen for the Nigerian prince scam. Oh, okay. Uh, she had given more than $17,000. Why? What, what time period was this? 2006. Okay. I mean... Okay. So, yeah, it's... That's early thousands. That's... When that was around... My bet, my favorite thing about this is that the the bond hearing that came set her bond at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, if you know anything about bond and bail, you have to give half of that, right, in order to bail out of jail until your court case. Okay. Oh, okay. So the judge or the lawyer was like, "This is atrocious and ridiculous. Why would it be so high?" Well, she did flee to Alabama. She's a flight risk. Like that's what that tells me. Yeah. You know. So. Um, a plea for reduction of bond was filed and and subsequently denied. And then they filed motions to throw out her confession on a technicality, um, to require prosecutors to state whether or not if they could seek the death penalty. So potential jurors, an excessive questionnaire, uh, or an extensive questionnaire was given to potential jurors to decide whether or not if they deserve, or if they believed in the death penalty and motions relating to it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyways, so she was released on bond, okay, on August 12th. Um, Initially, problems stemmed from a 1999 suspension of bail bond company kept in her jail, uh, or kept her in jail. However, she was able to post $750,000 bond and was released. So, but the stipulation was she, um, that she live in Rudolph and Kathy Thompson's house who are friends with her so her friends who know that she murdered her husband in cold blood have to take her in well i guess out of all the people to try and stay with well but that was until april of 2007 so that means that from august 20 2006 to april 2007 she had to stay with them that's a long time yeah that's that's like nine months okay good i don't know months thank you yeah. So, during the trial, um, she claims that um, her husband berated her and forced her to wear slutty costumes. Um, for proof, 
she displayed a pair of high heels and wigs uh, that she owned, supposedly, while her husband was still alive. Um, she claimed that she only shot her husband on accident at first. She claimed that she went to the bedroom closet and retrieved a shotgun because she wanted to force him to work through their problems. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and she wanted him to stop being so mean. So uh, multiple family members claim that he was verbally abusive and supposedly physically abusive in the sense that he shoved her yeah. multiple times. But there was never any, like, bruises or anything, supposedly. Um, so she heard the boom and then ran from the house because she thought he would be mad at her. So she didn't think that she shot him, supposedly. She thought that she shot at him, but then missed. But in her original statement, she claimed that she did shoot him off of the bed. And then she said, I'm sorry, when he said why. Well, it could have been... She shot him and thought he was going to survive it and then beat her to death and then was like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. So she claimed temporary insanity due to um, the... uh, Fear? Fear, blackout. She tried all kinds of garbage. And then uh, the verdict, she was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter instead of first degree murder and the death penalty. What's the difference? So, volunteer manslaughter is a little different. Um, it Volunteer manslaughter is the killing of a human being in which the offender acted during the heat of passion. So, it's a crime of passion. Okay. Um, so, it's not premeditated. Um, and a lot of people, it's militant. Like, it's, um, it's uh, based on, like, mental stability and whether or not if you were mentally, like, cognizant at the time of the murder. Okay. So... Um, the phone was unplugged. I don't like that. That's the thing where it's like, for all the other details, I can see, you know, but the fact that the phone was unplugged sounds very shady. Yep. Like, it could have been, she decided it then and there, and then unplugged the phone and got the gun. But regardless, she unplugged the phone before, like, shooting him. Yeah. Which is, that's... Let me put it this way. That's a smart move. Yes. That's not uh, so much... If she was scared of him, like, say, getting up and beating her... Yeah. Like, you you want the phone there for yourself. Yep. The phone is for whoever is in danger. Yes. Absolutely. Now, so this is what's interesting. So the sentencing was... So the convict... And then they put you in jail and you wait for sentencing. There's a sentencing hearing that the judge has to decide how long you're going to be in prison. Okay. Okay. So the the sentencing was set to begin on May 18, 2007, right? So she went in in April for the court case. 2007, she would be sentenced. Or May 18th, she'd be sentenced. Okay. Okay. So like a couple months, right? Yeah. Okay. Or no, one month. April, May. So May, she would be... Okay. So, but... Um, it was delayed due to scheduling conflict. On June 8th, a uh, Tennessee judge sentenced her to 200 days in prison for the conviction of involuntary manslaughter. She had credit for already serving five months. Now, wait. 
What? Hold on. Okay. I think the five months is because it took so long to post her on bail. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So basically, she had credit for already serving five months, and the judge permitted her to spend up to 60 days in an undisclosed mental health facility, and then she was sentenced to probation. So she only served... So however much time she served until the court uh, uh, came together, right, to convict her... That time was ser- was put in as time served. And then she had to spend uh, 60 days in a mental health facility to be evaluated. And then she was released on probation. What was the evaluation? Uh, I mean, apparently it was good if she was sentenced to probation, or if they gave her probation. Fair. Fair. Is it? Is it fair? The whole thing? Yeah. Probably not, but... I mean, if you go into the mental health thing after two months, they don't find something, and they let you say, yeah, she's fine. That's, you know, that's a fair amount of time to try and test somebody out and make sure they're mentally okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just... The whole thing is really insane. Um, There's one... That I wanted to read. There's a couple on here uh, cases. There was a dude. um, Oh, gosh. All right, I found it. So Anatoly Yurevich Moskovin is a Russian um, philologist, historian, and linguist. Okay, in Russia. And um, he was arrested in 2011. Because he took 26... um, He was a grave robber. So he went and robbed 26 graves of girls that were between the ages of 3 and 15. Okay, well that's creepy. So he took them and he would mummify the bodies and then make them look like dolls. And he would dress them up and pose them around his house. His parents didn't even realize that they were... Like, actual bodies. They thought that they... They were dolls. Yeah, that that he was making homemade dolls. Can we get more information? I mean, what do you want to know? Pretty cut and dry, Brittany. I don't know what more you need. He was... He suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, He got a psych evaluation. And since has been... uh, Since 2012 has been held in a psychiatric hospital. Um, when did this? 2011? Yeah. Was when he got caught. When he got caught? Yes. Does it say how long he might have been doing it for? Um, let's see. What's this guy's name? What's this guy's name? Oh, yeah. He, um, he, he's suspected of desecrating as many as 150 graves. 100? What? What? Yeah. His name is Anatoly Moskovin. A-N-A? T O L Y. Oh, um, I have so many. Uh, Moskvin. Anatony. Russian doll guy. Yeah, that works. Yeah. That. that sounds easier. Yeah, he used a combination of salt and baking soda and then cached the bodies in secure or cached the bodies in secure and dry places in and around cemeteries. So, I mean, 
the bodies would shrink and wither as they dried, and they would wrap the limbs in uh, strips of cloth to provide fullness to make them look better. And then he would even put musical devices in their chest cavities. For what? And their backs. For what? What do you mean? To make them dolls. So, you sound, right? Yeah. What sound? I want to know <laughs> like what sound. Music and stuff. Oh, just to play music. Yeah. Yep. What? Your silence is so captivating. I, I thought this... Let me put it this way. I was not expecting to go from she murdered her husband to he, you know, stole corpses of little girls and turned them into dolls and propped them up around his home. Yeah. He said that uh, his neighbor said that they would smell his dead body smell, but they didn't think anything of it. How do you not think anything of a dead <laughs> he body smell? He was a super nice guy. They really liked him. Was that... What 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 does it say anything about his paranoid schizophrenia? Uh, not really. Like, <laughs> Just that he's severely mental. Hold on, hold on. I need a read. He could have went guy. to jail for five years, but he didn't. Oh, what? And uh, his parents didn't think anything of the dead body smell. And when the police asked him if he ever had sexual relations with them or ever thought about having sexual relations with them, he goes. Oh, God, no, I couldn't do that with the smell. <laughs> God, <laughs> they no, thought it was a sex thing. Do you smell that? Oh, no. here you go, Brittany. You Thank ready? You. Okay, Moskvin, or Moskvin um, has stated that he felt great sympathy for the dead children and felt that they could be brought back to life by either science or black magic. He enclosed the remains in the dolls in an attempt to give them functional bodies to be used when he eventually discovered a way to bring them back to life, feeling that their physical remains were too decayed and ugly for them to feel comfortable or happy. Moskvin said that he was aware that he was committing a crime, but felt that the dead children were calling out to him, begging to be rescued. There you go. Okay. They talked to him, Brittany. They yeah. talked to him. I understand. I can understand that. Now, it's, it's really bizarre that you I mean, understand that. No, it's a delusion. Don't get me wrong. That's like, if I can just put them in good bodies, they can be okay and be brought back. And I want them to be... Because it's like a grief of, you know, like a small child dying. But, granted, it didn't work out. But also, it makes sense. You know? Yeah. Like, if I thought, you know, little kids were crying out and... You know, I thought I could bring them back. Yeah, I would do a few illegal things. Yeah. Like, for example, if, think of a small child in your life. If they died, and for some reason, you thought you could bring them back. You know. And it just involved a little crime. A little crime, Joe. A little crime, huh? A little crime. Wouldn't you try and save as many little girls and children as you would? I guess. Are you ready to hear about the temp or the the, in, the temporary insanity crazy cases? You're gonna love these. They're gonna make you smile and laugh. Are you ready? They may. This one made me smile. Yes, it did. Yeah. The gay panic defense. Okay. Okay. So. Um, Aislinn Nettles, uh, is a transgender woman as a man that has transitioned into a woman. A woman that was born with a peen-peen. 
Sure, yes. A man that has transitioned into a woman. A woman that was born with a ping ping. Okay, all right. So in 19... 19... In 2013... Yeah. August 17th, uh, Iceland Nettles was walking home with a friend when she ran into James Dixon and a group of six young men headed south uh, on Frederick, Frederick Douglass Boulevard in Harlem. Okay? On their way home, the plans had been canceled and the two groups collided. So this guy, Dixon, who was 23, began flirting with Nettles, okay. who was 21 years old. Okay? okay. Now, he didn't realize that it was a transgender woman. Yeah. He thought that it was... A cisgender. A, a cis... Oh, is that what they call it? Yeah, it okay, is. Okay, a cisgender. So he didn't realize that this woman had a penis. Yeah. So, not knowing and it being dark and everything else, he's talking to this person and figuring out by one of the people in his group yelling, that's not a female, that's yeah. a guy. So. He kills her. He punches them in the face and then he, uh, as Nettle hits the curb... Okay. Uh, and hits their head. He then leans down and punches them a second time into the curb. Like a curb stomp? Yes, but with his fist. Okay. So Nettles uh, is pushed back, hits the curb. He's mad. And he, co- and he does the secondary punch into the pavement. Uh, and causes serious brain injury. Okay. Then Dixon runs off uh, and then forgot about the in, uh, the incident, supposedly. <laughs> okay. So then one of his friends, um, Paris Wilson, uh, ends up getting charged uh, and arrested be- um, for the fight. Oh, for what James did? Yes. Okay. And so uh, Dixon ends up hearing gossip that uh, that Nettles is about to die in the hospital. And yeah. he turns himself in. Oh, okay. So then uh, he uses the uh, he uses the gay panic defense. Um, yeah. So I mean, now of course, like I mean, the gay community was. Uh, I think it's called the, I think they call themselves the gay bar community, or... When was this? 2013, uh, thir- th- I think. Oh, 13? yeah. 13. Trying to find what... I don't know why. I was seeing this as Victorian times. I really Well, when don't... you listen to it, it does sound like it, doesn't it? Here's the crazy thing. The gay panic defense is legal in 42 states right now. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's called assault. Yeah. You beat up a gay person, it's assault. I'll say, like, that's... Mm. So, but James came forward and said he did it, but then he was like, oh, but gay panic. Yes. The concept of this panic defense is rooted by a psychiatrist, Edward J. Kempf's. Uh, his idea was acute homosexual panic. So it started... During, the, uh, during a diagnosis of neuroses in the 1920s, 
during World War One in all-male barracks, where panic due to the pressure of uncontrollable perverse sexual cravings was an issue. So men that were around other men for multiple periods of time would make men go erotically crazy and went to have sex with other men. And then as he would attack men to or would flirt with men to try to have sex with them, yeah. he was severely beaten. And then the men that severely beat him were uh, excused for it because of gay panic. Yeah, you know, naturally. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, it's a little aggressive, huh? You know, perfectly just a reasonable... So Dixon actually dodged a hate crime charge. They could not prove that he battered Nettles in whole or or substantial part because of her transgender identity. No way that that had anything to do with it, right? Even though he didn't start bashing her until... Yeah. So uh, instead, Dixon was charged with first and second degree manslaughter, so crime of passion. Okay. um, As well as first degree assault. So at least he got, you know, charged for the murder. Yeah. So he pled guilty to the top charge of manslaughter in the first degree, and then they dropped the other charges. Um, so they ended up, uh, after Justice Daniel P. Converser rules that Dixon's videotaped hour and 10 minute 2013 police interrogation, in which he claimed that he'd felt dumped and humiliated by the revelation of the victim's gender identity, was admissible to court amounting to the trans panic defense airing in a court of law. He pan he like flirted with her for like five minutes, right? Yeah. Like they they were like going down opposite sides of the street. Yeah. Yeah. The judge uh ended up now the DA the Manhattan DA recommended seventeen years. He got twelve. Okay. Yeah. So let me write this down. When's he when's he come out of jail? Just uh, two thousand. Uh, uh, twenty thirteen plus twelve years, but let's not forget good behavior. So that's six years. Okay, six years would mean uh, twenty nineteen. Yes, interesting. He's, he's interesting. probably getting out interesting. soon. Interesting, interesting, interesting. James Dixon. Okay. I'm trying to see if he's been released. Is it James Dixon? Am I thinking of Win Dixie? I don't know. I, an X I, in there? I no, no, you're right. It is James Dixon. Um, I'm surprised he. Well, then again, he probably did it so his friend wouldn't go to jail for him. Yeah. He asserted to the NYPD detectives at the time during his confession that he thought he didn't have a choice. In the in his crime. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this would make things better for me, but it didn't. <laughs> I thought murder was the answer. He said a mistake is a mistake. That He said I'm taking responsibility. A mistake is a mistake. Well, I did kill him, but it was a mistake. He said I gotta live with it and that's it. There's nothing I can do to change back, or to change back time. My Wi-Fi is not working in your house, Joseph. It's not? Not well. I apologize. That's okay. I'll just remember this later. Okay. Why? Because you really want to... What are you going to do to this guy, Brittany? Gosh. I don't know. Don't say it on the podcast. I will not murder this man. I could make a mistake. Who knows? People make mistakes. Now, to be fair, you you shouldn't murder this man. This man is a sick individual that ultimately suffered from something that the majority of our 
you know, our culture has suffered from, which is gay panic and hate. That's just the truth. I'll say, a lot of people are homophobic, which just stinks. It's kind of... And the fact is, you know, you can disagree with someone's lifestyle and not hate them or be mean to them. Like, I mean, that's just a fact. Like, same thing with the religion. You don't have to agree with somebody's religion. Doesn't mean that you have to go and beat them up. It's like that person that threw that Muslim 14-year-old little girl off what? a freaking three-story balcony in, in Minnesota. No. Yes, threw when? in the Mall of America. When? Beginning of this year. Oh, my we God. We did part of a podcast on it. We mentioned it. Oh, my gosh. Yep. He found her, and the dude threw her off three stories. I've been to that Mall of America. Yeah, I know. I have. know where he threw her. Uh, there was a story a couple years back where there was a Muslim woman that, or uh, a Muslim girl, she was 16 years old, and she worked at the Mall of America part-time, and she was a janitor and was mopping, got punched straight in the face. Yeah. Yeah. You said, Beating up kids. You said gay pants, like, admissible uh, excuse 42 in 42 states. states currently? 42 states currently. Well. It, it, it might have dropped, but I don't think it has. Maybe it's 41 states now. That'd now, here's cool. another gay panic one. This one another is, one? Yeah, this one's very That's interesting. Cool. So, so in 1995, uh, in 1995, there was this show called The Jenny Jones Show. Okay. Now, it was very... Burlesque? Risque? Risque um, for its time was very... No, uh... Forward thinking for its okay, time. Okay, progressive. Possibly. Yes. Like, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say progressive. The show's a uh, piece of uh, trash. Ahead of its time? In ver- it's in Jerry life. Springer for... I don't freaking know Jerry Springer. You don't know Jerry Springer. What's Jerry Springer? You've never seen Jerry Springer. That stupid show where it's like, well, um, um, do you know who Maury is? The no. Maury show? Like, you are not the father. Oh, Okay. Or, uh, like, yeah, like those okay, shows. Okay. Those crappy shows. The daytime television shows where people are beating each other up on TV. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, this man. Uh, on the Jim Jane Jones show. On the Jenny Jones show. Okay. So, Jimmy this Jones is the show. show. This is, um, this is the, uh, the premise of the show. It's a talk show. National Daytime 1990s. Okay. okay. In Chicago. So what it is, is it is same sex uh, love interests. Okay. So this is what it is. So Brittany, you get okay. a call from the Jenny Jones show. Hi, Brittany. This is Jenny from the Jenny Jones show. Uh, hi. Hi. So we have this girl, or I, I'm sorry, we have this secret admirer that okay. you know and they were afraid to tell you that they like you. And they want you. Uh, yeah. Click. And they want, yeah, exactly. So. Me personally. They get you on the show. Yeah. All right. And they go. But, Brittany, tell us a little bit about yourself. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And then it's like, well, behind door number one, we have. Your secret Your admirer. secret admirer. Now. Jenny Jones claims that the showrunners who told the people were told that it was a same-sex crush. Okay, so they knew ahead of time. Apparently. Oh. We do not know if that is true. 
Okay. Okay. Now, they would bring them out, and that would be that, right? Yeah. Okay, so this dude, Jonathan Schmutz, Schmitz, who is 47, has spent 23 years in prison for a crime that he committed. Oh. He just recently got, uh, in 2017, he got uh, paroled. Now, this is what it was. So, Scott Amedjur, who is an acquaintance of Schmitz, was 32 at the time. Okay? Okay. And he was in the closet. Okay. And he had a crush on Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, the incarceration is to follow after this, right? Yes. He has not yet been in jail. No. Okay, okay. Never so, mind. Scott has a crush on John. John goes, or, I'm sorry, Scott sees this out in the newspaper in Chicago about a local talk show that yeah, is looking Joe. for people, whatever, right? Yeah. So he calls and says, I got a crush on this man. And it's yeah. like, okay, Scott, I don't know why you're a hillbilly, but sure. Where, what state is this? Uh, it's it's Chicago. So anyways. Way off. Yeah, I know. So he goes and he give, um they go and, and they get him on the show. Yeah. So they call John and say, John, we have a secret admirer for you. Yeah. Now, supposedly, John says that he was never told that it was a man. Yeah. John goes on the show thinking that he's going to see a ex-girlfriend from the past. That's who he thinks it might be. Oh. And then it's like, da-da-da, come on down, John. It's like, look behind door number one. Oh, look, it's your friend Scott. Yeah. And he's telling you on law, on national television in front of all these people that not only is he gay, in a, but that he's in love with you. Yeah. And John flips out. On TV? On TV. So he leaves the show. Oh, okay. He goes straight to the store. Okay, no. And buys a 12-gauge shotgun. Oh, no. And then fills it with bullets. Okay. And then... He goes, oh, by the way, um, uh, let's not forget that he gave him a huge freaking hug, which made him feel very uncomfortable. So, three days later, okay, he's heavily drunk. And Scott's probably thinking, okay, that went badly, but it blew over, I guess. Yeah. Meanwhile, we cut to John. And John is severely drunk. Very upset, buys a 12-gauge shotgun, drives to Lake Orion to a mobile home where Scott lives, and um, he shoots Scott in cold blood and murders him. He then calls 911 and told the police he committed the murder because he had been humiliated on national television. And then he was found guilty after pleading not guilty, reason of insanity, gay panic. He was sentenced to 25 to 50 years for second degree murder. Good. They brought it down from first to second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was granted parole in March of 2017. How many years is that? I'll say that's like 22, 23-ish? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, well, um, no. Because 1993. I am 24. Yeah. I just turned. Baby. And I was born in 1995. This guy was sentenced in 1995. Oh, I thought it was in 93. No, uh, did I say 93? I don't know. I thought I said 1995. No, he was sentenced in 1995. Okay. It happened in 1993, I believe. And got paroled in 2017, so that's 22 years. Yep. Okay. So in 1999, a, a Michigan civil jury found the show's producers liable for the death and awarded the, uh, and awarded Scott's family $25 million. And then it was reversed on appeal. And then I don't think they get any money. That stings. Yeah. Here's the thing. If they... If they told John ahead of time, hey, or at the very least, hey, now this secret admirer could be a guy, it could be a girl, it could be anybody. Do you know what... Okay. What? I did not know this until just now. What? There are two segments from the Jenny Jones show. Okay. That will make you cringe beyond belief. Okay. Are you ready for these segments? This is Dr. Phil. You need to start living your life as a gay woman. You need okay. to stay away from man. You are the problem. Okay. Okay. Jenny Jones show. Segment number one. Okay. My teen's too hot. That's what? No. 2003, by the way, was when the show was off the air. That's too long. My teen's too hot? Yes. That's so bad. Now, there are a couple of things to think about this. Either you're a stepfather that's in love with your daughter or thinks that your daughter's too hot or... Your teenager needs to be uglied up to make sure that she isn't, you know, mounted by every man in the county. What are your first assumptions of the segment? Oh, what's it going to be? Yeah. My teen's too hot. Okay. I'm going to assume it's my teen's dressing too provocatively. I don't know how to get them to stop. Really? Yours is a lot less. I thought it was a little more forward than that. I really did think it was going to be, I am I have a crush on my stepdaughter. Or it was, uh, you know, it, or if it's if it's Southern Kentucky, I'm in love, I'm in love with my daughter. See, here's the thing. Pedophilia is in general, and incest is in general, really looked down on. So national TV, I don't see it being a thing oh, where know. people would just But I do it. see the stepdad angle. Or I could see the, my daughter is having sex with every man in the county. Yeah. Okay. So what is it? No idea. What? My team's too hot. That's what I know. Okay. What's the other segment? I hate my own race. Okay. Now, I want to have hope for this. That's going to be something good. But because of the sort of incesty sounding one we just had... Yeah, I... What was it called? My Teen's Too Hot, yeah, and, and I, I Hate My Own Race. Now that, Those are the two segments on the Jenny Jones now, show. That the I Hate My Own Race thing could sound like either, for example, if you're white, you know, the general, like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. white people do. I hate my own race. White hate is a thing? I Well, like, a lot I of... I hate white, white privilege. That's my favorite thing that I hear white people say. I hate white privilege. You are white. 
Yeah. If I can see, like, I don't like how, like, I see how the privilege happens, I hate it. Yeah. Or it's like, I hate being my own race because we are so discriminated against. Hey, listen, I hate but. Asian privilege. I mean, if I walked into a tech company... You'd get it. And I was, like, at the, like, bottom percentage of my class, they'd still probably think I was on the top. Yeah. I mean, so... But at the same time, I also couldn't get a job driving a school bus. <laughs> so... Because <laughs> they think I'm too bad at driving. But you're yellow. The school buses. <laughs> oh, okay, Brittany. Here okay. come here comes the white privilege. Yeah. But no. But but after you hear those two segments, it does not surprise you that a man who did not know that a gay man was going to come out and say I have a crush on you on television. Yeah. Uh, was going to get shot. With a 12-gauge shotgun and be murdered in cold blood. And then plead not guilty for gay panic insanity. See, that's three days later and he was drunk. Like, no, no. I gotta say, though, people that went on that show being like, yeah, hey, I want you to tell this person. You know, they got a secret admirer who's got a crush on them, who's same sex. Who it's like, assuming, you know, they were at least told, we'll let the person know, you know. You know, say it's going to be from another dude, another chick. Yeah. That's still, like, a lot of balls. I guess. I mean, I mean if that's was, what you call balls. This was, like, 2003. What? no. 1995. 1995. That's in the 90s. I don't know, man. I wouldn't do that. Now, to be fair, in the 90s, like, I mean, people were insane. I mean, that's just the truth. You know? Yeah, they were skateboarding, man. Who does that? Uh, white people. My brother is very white and he skateboarded, so I can't say anything against that. That, that is right. You are welcome, white people. You got to enjoy skateboarding. As I say, as a white, as a three-fourths white man. Three-fourths white, but you don't look it. I do, too! Wait a second. What do you mean? When did this become a uh, hate on whether or not if Joe looks Asian or not? I'm saying you look Asian. Whatever. Okay, are you ready for the last case? This one's are my... we at the last one? Yes. Yeah, that's right, we are. Yep. What is this it? This one is my favorite. One of my favorites. I don't okay. know. The gay panic one was pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. It, it. The game show one was very interesting, I'll say that. Yes. Okay, Steven Steinberg. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So, in 1981, Steven Steinberg, I'm sorry, let me premise this. We're going to make this real interesting, okay? Okay. In 1981, the cops receive a phone call from a crazed, scared-to-death Steven Steinberg, and he says what? And he says somebody's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. He does not. Okay. What he does say is that someone has broken into his home and that there is some type of burglary, burglary gone awry in his house and that his wife has been stabbed 26 times. Oh, no. I, I, sorry, I was thinking of... Uh... Llamas with hat. <laughs> you stabbed him 27 times in the chest. That kills people, Charlie. Oh, oh, I, I didn't know that. 
Carl, that kills people. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I had no idea. Why does this keep happening? Why is the lifeboat all red and sticky, Carl? Uh, would you believe an, uh, strawberry, strawberry milkshake? Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, Carl, I would not believe no, that. No, Carl. Uh, Carl, where are the rest of the lifeboats? Well, with the trajectory of the moon and the sun at the bottom of the ocean. I bet lots, lots of, of holes, holes in, in them. them. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. Okay. Wife is stabbed 26 times in the chest. And the we the to... cops go and they look and there is no signs of a break-in. Okay. In the home. So he is charged with murder. Okay. And then it turns out, are you ready for this? He suffers from a special type of sleepwalking disorder. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, so he suffers from homicidal somnambulism. Somnambulism. Sleepwalking murder. So, apparently this is a real thing where you get aggressive in your sleep. Okay. Uh, so, that, so, they ended up um, they, they ended up doing, like, a sleep study on them. And psychiatrists and psychologists alike went and, you know, like, really dealt with this guy. This guy woke up with a bunch of blood on him, the knife not in his hand, thinking that a burglary went wrong. He wasn't lying. He really did think that. I mean... He says he thinks that he was dreaming and woke up, and during the dream there was a burglary. That makes sense why he did it. Yeah. So the crazy, so the case drew much publicity in Arizona, not only for the heinous crime, but because it was, uh, you know, a case of sleepwalking murder. To quote legal argument, the defendant was not in the same state of mind when he committed the act. Sleepwalking is a, um, is a parasomnia manifested by autumn automatism uh, as such harmful actions committed while in the state cannot be blamed on the perpetrator so Steinberg claimed he did not remember the crime and was sleeping at the time hence the murder while sleepwalking not only that he did not deny the fact that he had murdered his wife in the criminal trial the jury found him not guilty on the grounds that he was temporarily insane when he committed the crime so although Steinberg fabricated the intruder story he walked away a free man I mean, but if he was a sleeper, like, and they did sleep tests on him and found that was true, right? That yeah. he had, I mean. And the jury later was quoted saying, even though he committed the murder, they could not find him responsible for his actions. Yeah. I just think it's insane that, like, you can't even, you're telling me that there's no type of stay in a psych ward? None? I mean, if it's a condition, it's kind of, if it's a condition where it happens every time he falls asleep. Now, granted, I think he should sleep in like a locked room with no weapons or anything. But you mean like a psych ward? No, just lock himself into a room. You can do something where you lock like werewolf prevention. They <laughs> he should well, no, lock himself like a, in a cell in the basement. You know, like a normal like bedroom doors. How you can use like just a nickel to unlock yeah. the door. Just uh, lock himself into a room with something that would require that amount of dexterity. Could in you order imagine to getting remarried and being like, listen, I have something to tell you. 
I have to be tied up when we sleep or otherwise I'll murder you. You see, I'm really big into this community. Oh, oh, I know about the uh, Sano Kilo community. Yeah, he pulls out like straps and ties and she's like, ooh, I like this. And it's like, no, you don't. No, I promise no, I it's know not. It's not what you're thinking. No. Oh, don't worry. I like, no. It's, no, no. I know what no. you're thinking. No fetishizing this it's lady. It's not this. It's not that. It's something else. Unless she likes the fetish of like the putting a chain, yeah, like putting a chain around his neck and letting him sleepwalk like ten feet, and she's at eleven feet and going, "Come on, get me! <laughs> Come on, just a little!" Oh no, the locks have not. Oh gosh, another Blumhouse film. We got another one, Brittany. I can't go to sleep unless I think another my husband Blumhouse might film. kill me in my sleep. The original Blumhouse film, Brittany's father being a serial killer and hiding a lo- or having a locked door in the basement. The second Blumhouse film, a woman that likes be, uh, uh, <laughs> teasing her, hu- her sleeping husband who was a murderous uh, sleepwalker. The Locked Room and... The Chained Passion. What if... Okay, mm-hmm. we're going to pull an unbreakable mixed... Like, we're going to push... Um, a, like a crossover? We're going to pull a Shimalama Ding Dong. Okay. And, uh... You oh, know, and that's what's in the room. Th- yeah, the room is a sleepwalk room, and your father secretly hides in there so he doesn't murder anybody. Concerning, because he takes... He falls asleep during movies all the time. Oh, no! <laughs> And this ha- is how it happens in the movie. Oh, no! He, he falls asleep during a movie and then gets up and it's like, ah, he has awoken. Comes back from the kitchen with a knife and it's like, oh. Or your dad's a werewolf and it's an American werewolf in London story. I have not seen that. It is good. So many movies I gotta watch. I hear ya, I hear ya. Anyways, that's it. I gotta say that last one wasn't... I'm glad they found him not guilty, though. I do, too. I just wish that there was a... There has to be something that... It shouldn't just be on him. You know what I'm saying? Like... Like what? I don't know. Part of me thinks that they should have at least got him to go to, like, a sleep specialist. But I guess he probably... Like, we don't know that he didn't. Yeah. You know... Which I would assume, you know... Assuming, of course, he didn't, you know... He didn't set this up. Yeah. And, you know, want to kill his wife. Then, obviously, like, imagine if you had killed Kim in your sleep. Yeah. Like, you would be traumatized, and you want want to make sure you would never do that to someone yeah. you loved again. Oh, I'm sure he went to therapy afterwards yeah. for went years. Therapy and probably trying to sleep specialist to see, you know, if... This was the 1980s, though. So, he probably went to a hypnotist. Could have been, yeah. And then it was like, you're going, you're getting very sleepy. <laughs> Never mind, you're not getting sleepy. You're and not you're getting sleepy. And you're wide awake. And Please four, three, don't three, three, murder me. Oh, wait. You're yeah, awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're awake. awake. You're, you're awake. awake. You're awake. Like, why am hesitate. I, hesitate. Why am I holding the envelope opener? <laughs> I murdered three hypnotherapists. Now, before I hire you as my hypnotherapist, there's something I have to tell you. <laughs> you are the fourth one. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't murder any of them. I just, you know, wounded them very badly. Just letting you know. But, yeah. you know what they say. 
they say fourth time's the charm. Right. Sir, that's third time's the charm. Imagine how deep you're sleeping. 26 stabs to the chest. That is a deep sleep. I mean, I imagine... The amount of force. I mean, I imagine sleepwalking in general has to be a lot of force because it requires your balance. Right. Right. No, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Then you're walking up and down stairs and your eyes are partially open and And you're getting things. And people, yeah, you can get stuff. Sleep, eat. Could you imagine, think about how much, because like, you have like waterfall dreams like you're about to freaking pee your pants when you're asleep. Yeah. I couldn't imagine like the idea of eating food or drinking something while sleeping and not waking up. Well, have you ever like done something in a dream and you felt yourself like doing it? Yeah. Oh, all the yeah, time. So it could Kimberly has to do with me yelling in my sleep, waking up, terrified. But anyway, so I mean, yeah, like in 1981, it was probably a hypnotherapist and everything. I just, it's insane to think that people. It's insane. It's insane to think that insane people get away with insanity. And we didn't even cover the Bobbits, which the was boy. in our, which was in our Jeopardy uh, game. It was Orlena um, or Elena. Lorena, Lorena Bobbitt, and how oh, she yeah. cut off her husband's penis. Yeah. And then uh, pled insanity. I saw a Grey's Anatomy episode where the chick did that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and then uh, she came back in to say for them to talk about her, and then she did it again yeah. after it had gotten reattached. Uh, Nurse Jackie does that. She flushes it down the toilet in the first episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The one I think, I can't, like, out of all of them, I feel like the one I agree with is, like, the last one with the sleep thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now... The woman taking the phone off the hook. That's the one that sent... Or no, no. They said unplugging it. Yeah. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. That sounds very premeditated. So that's why... That one's a little gray area for me. And then the two gay panics. And then what was the other one again? That's it, isn't it? Three. That's four. Yeah, we only did four. I thought we were doing five. We were going to do five. Okay, never There mind. was one more. I can tell you it real fast. A man hmm. goes on a bus. Okay. Pulls out a giant knife. Okay. Goes to the back of the bus to a man that he claims uh, was that his, that God told him that he was possessed by Satan. Okay. And skins him. Or, and, skin? Uh, sorry, not skins oh. him. Uh, scalps him. Okay. On the bus in front of everybody. That's terrifying. He is out. He changed his name. It was an Asian man. So, what was the uh, what was his plea for that? What did he say happened? Insanity. He just claimed insanity. Yeah, he was a freaking nut bar. Was he high? Oh, he also beheaded the person. What? Okay, do you want me to read it real quick? Yeah. Canadian man who was found not criminally responsible for beheading and cannibalizing a fellow passenger Wait, on a Greyhound bus. I forgot about that part. Uh, so Manitoba's uh, Criminal Code Review Board announced Friday it was giving Will Baker, formerly known as Vince Lee, that dude changed his name, and New York Post still found it. Uh, I would guy, change my name too. Uh, an absolute dis- uh, um, discharge, meaning he's no longer subject to monitoring. Baker, diagnosed with schi- uh, a schizophrenic, uh, killed Tim McLean, a young carnival worker who was a complete stranger to Baker in 2008. A year later, he was found not criminally responsible due to mental illness. McLean's mother, Carol, 
has been outspoken against granting Baker freedom, saying that um, there was no way to ensure he uh, continued to take his medication. Uh, he declined comment in a um, in a post on Facebook Friday, saying, "I have no words." Baker was initially kept in a secure wing of a psychiatric hospital, but was given more freedom every year. Um, he's been living in Winnipeg. Thank you for telling us where he lives. Uh, you know, but um, anyways, uh, so he sat next to a 22-year-old McLean on the bus. Um, after the man smiled at him, at him and asked him how he was doing, Baker said he heard the voice of God telling him to kill the man and that he had to die immediately. Okay. Um, so, or no, I'm sorry, to kill the man or he would die immediately. So God threatened his life. Uh, so it was a him, it was a me or him, you know, situation. situation. Yeah. He repeatedly stabbed McLean while he fought for his life. As passengers fled the bus, Baker continued stabbing and, and mutilating the body before he was arrested. He severed, uh, he severed McLean's head, displaying it to some of the passengers outside the bus. <laughs> Uh, so why? Because God, I don't know why God didn't tell him to do that. I yeah. Um, in 1999, the Supreme Court ruled that a review board must order an absolute discharge if a person doesn't pose a significant threat to public safety. Apparently, since this guy, uh, to me, that's public safety. Like, if I, he can, if he can literally snap at any point on anybody, like, if he was off his meds, then though, you can make the argument that as long as he's on his meds. I don't know. The ruling added there must be clear evidence of significant risk to the public for the review board to continue imposing conditions after a person is found not criminally responsible. Um, the cannibalism. I I think I remember that. I think I read somewhere that he cut off his ear and ate it or something. Hold on. Um, Van Goffed him. I'm I'm looking it up now. Will Baker. Let's see. Oh, nope. Maybe I should type in Vince Lee. Vince Lee. Uh, let's see. Did he eat... A part of him. There was some type of cannibalism, wasn't there? You got a great search history, Joe. Oh, I'm I'm sure people are like, what the heck is wrong with you? Your um, FBI agent is like, ah, oh, here we go. Uh, Lee was described as a tall man in his 40s with a shaved head and sunglasses. He sat near the front of the bus, but then spotting McLean, uh, he went to the back. McLean barely acknowledged him then fell asleep against the window pane, headphones covering his ears. According to the witness, McLean was sleeping with his headphones in as the man suddenly produced a large knife and began stabbing McLean in the neck and chest. The bus driver pulled the bus on the side of the road and ran away with everybody. The, the uh, attacker decapitated him, displayed his severed head to other passengers standing outside. Um, two, the driver and two others attempted to rescue McLean, but were chased away by Lee, uh, who slashed at them from behind the locked bus doors. Um, then he started severing McLean's body parts and consuming them. Uh, yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm laughing, but... It's, it's just very intense and started on a bus, which is just... 
you know, a lot of extreme crimes generally, you know, besides like, you know, massive crimes of like, you know, like government or like large groups, like one-on-one crimes generally happen in less populated areas. Yeah. Because you don't want witnesses and stuff like that. Right. So for this to happen like on a bus, it's just the most public. Oh, yeah. Of course, he wasn't like thinking like, oh, I want kill him and get away with it. Like, no, I mean, I think that he should be... I, I mean, here's my thing. Yeah. Obviously, they put him in a psych ward. Yeah. He takes his psychotics, his antipsychotics. Yeah. And, I mean, there's that. But the mother's not wrong. How can you prove that he's going to continue to take his medication if he's already done this once? And in order... He tried to get off the bus to attack the other passengers. Well, I bet and, he did. And the driver and another passenger held him on the bus with the locked doors uh, by basically fighting them off with a crowbar and a hammer until the cops arrived. Good. Yep. I'll say Well, that. guys, that's it. Yeah. So. I guess <laughs> the only way really is just to have him forcibly, make sure he is forcibly, you know, taking the pills every day for the rest of his life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I which, mean, which I feel like at that point it's like, and then I feel like that's the thing though. Then that means you should take all schizophrenics and put them behind bars. I mean, no, no, but but I feel like because he has committed the crime once, and then and he or, was already a diagnosed schizophrenic. That means he chose to get off his medication. Yeah, which some people do that, whatever. But I feel like once you have done something that extreme, or alternative, be like, hey, you have to stay on these pills. And if, for whatever reason, you're off them, you immediately go to jail for, like, ten years. Well, what about a halfway house where they have him take his pills once a day, and then he's able to go throughout the rest of his life? Yeah. That's great. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that works. You have to live there, but you can work wherever you want. You can hang out with anyone you want. And then, when you get married, it's your wife's responsibility. I think. Good it's, luck to you. I think it's the sort of charge where it should be kind of like a DUI, like... You can't prevent anybody from Here's drinking the the alcohol though. than getting in a car. Here's the difference. Though. What? Drinking and driving does not have a 100% success rate of murdering somebody. Schizophrenia not taking your medication after you've already stabbed and beheaded and eaten somebody. If you forget that day to take your medication, you're probably going to stab and eat somebody. I don't think, no. Yeah, no. No, I guess the escalation of the voices in your head is going to happen. It's the sort of thing where, basically, you know you are a risk when you are not on your pills. The same as you know you are a risk if you drink and drive. Yes. So, I think it should be the same concept. Even if nothing happens, if you are, you know, already an established, you know, homicidal risk without your pills, it should be, like, I mean, established, like he murdered somebody. It should be if you are found to be off your pills, even if nothing's happened, you are, you know, being, you are actively letting yourself be a risk. That is very established. This is not like, and thus that should, you know, you should be punished for that because something happened when you were off your pills and you could have thought, you know, maybe I'm fine without my pills. I'll get through the day. I actually don't need them, which happens a lot with people. Yes. But after that, you know, you are. So anytime you are not on your pills, is you actively putting other people at risk. Yeah. I love the fact that this podcast, we can just, even though we're a bunch of dummos that don't really know anything or not experts on anything, 
can just give crazy, you know, uh... Our opinions. No, 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 not just opinions. We give, like, uh... If I was in charge, this is how it would be. Like, uh... If I was the national head of state, you know what I would do. Yeah. But I think that's a fair thing. What about you? Like... Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's a bad... I mean, I don't think that it's bad. Yeah. Now, you know, I think there is a sense of control over people yeah. that it causes, and I think that's what people don't like. Yeah. But, I mean, I would. at but, the same time, I don't want uh, Will Baker Vince Lee to uh, come and attack me. Yeah. I do think it is, like, super Saudi that they're, uh, or, is that the word I'm looking for? Salty? 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 What Probably did I say? not. No. What? I think it's. I, I think it's wrong that the Washington Post is giving his new name and, a, and place of residence. Oh, like petty? There's another word that I'm looking for. Vindictive? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Now, I could see, a, like, a probationary period. I was not trying to say Saudi, by the way, like uh, like the place. Oh, okay. I'm not saying Saudi Arabia. I thought They're, you were trying to say salty. I think it's salty. I've heard people say it with a weird tone uh, as of salty. I could see like a probationary period where it's like, okay, we are going, you are going, someone is going to have to watch you take your pills every single day for 10 years. And if you are good for those 10 years, then you don't have to actively do that. But, you know, again, he's approved risk. So it should be if like a DUI thing, even if you didn't cause an accident. Yeah. You were... I do think it's very interesting that the mother of the murder victim... Said I had no words? No, she... Well, yes, but no, she said that, like, he shouldn't be let out because you can't guarantee that he'll take his medication every day instead of, he's a murderer, put him behind bars, he killed my boy. I guess she was understanding, but I wish there was something in place. I feel like there is no understanding, but I do see where... That's the only thing that she could say. You know yeah. what I mean? Was, eh, you probably don't want to let him out. I wish there had been a thing where it had been like, somebody is going to watch you take your pills for like a probationary period. Kind of like a, how parole, you have to check in with your parole officer yes. every so often. Ben said it's a, you have to come to this building once a day and a professional nurse, doctor, whatever has to watch you take that pill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but. That said. When was this again? Uh, I always ask the years for these. This was, let's see, uh, 2008. Okay. Yep. Okay. But he is out. So if you Mm. uh, are, you know what, if you're friends with Vince Lee or Will Baker and you listen to this podcast, I would like you to message me (laughs) at uh, the Freak Show, or I'm sorry, uh, AP Triple B at AP... I don't know your email. APBB at gmail.com. Or you can contact us and message us on at the Freak Show Podcast on Instagram, the Freak Show Po One on Twitter, or the Freak Show Podcast on Facebook. I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, please like, subscribe, and review on on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, right now, we just hit a little over 3,000 viewers, downloads. Yeah, it's I pretty know. great. It I'm is. super excited. I know you are. Uh, and uh, October is going to be insane. October is going to be so much fun. I'm so pumped. This is the time Brittany. when we live. 
You gonna do all um, all eight eps? Probably, yeah. Yeah, sweet. I imagine it's guys. Halloween. I hope you enjoy your week. Thank you for listening. And here's your second episode that you get. Look at that, killing it. All right. What is up? But not literally. No. 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 Don't go behead people. Please don't. Unless they deserve it. Or shoot people in the back. Unless they deserve it. Unless they deserve it. Yeah. All is fair, love and war. You know what I'm saying? That does not mean you should murder your loved ones. (laughs) All right. Peace out! Laters.